Good morning, Davis. You are tuned in to KDRT 95.7, Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. And we'd like to tell you today is a big day of giving. So if you would like, donate to kdrt.org donate. We will greatly accept your donations. Today we've got a group, multiple groups, giving us several topics, including world and politics, arts and culture, and much more. But with that being said, let's get right into it. I would like to introduce Connect Four. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Connect Four. And today we are going to be covering arts and culture for you. I actually interviewed my brother on all things movies and Oscars and all that kind of stuff. And then we will be discussing the Oscars. So for right now, here's the interview. All right, good morning, everyone. Today in the studio, we have with us Jason Gonzalez, who just happens to be my big brother. And for those of you who do not know, um, we do always get together for things like the Oscars and the Grammys and the Golden Globes. So for today, we're just gonna ask him questions about film, movies that he likes, actors that he likes, and things like that. So to get us started, Jason, how, how many movies did you watch that were up for the Oscars? I would say around five or six. And of those, which one was your favorite? I would probably have to go with the Best Picture winner, um, Nomadland. All right, good choice. And then of those that you didn't watch, are there any that you're really wanting to see? I still really need to get around to seeing The Sound of Metal. I don't know how that one keeps slipping by me. Bro, I don't know why you haven't watched that yet. It's a really good movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your all-time favorite movie? All-time favorite movie? If I had to answer, the first one that always comes to my head is Arrival. All right. And are there any kinds of movies that you dislike? Oh, that's the easy one for me. It's horror movies. <laughs> And then I'm sure you've seen horror movies or else you wouldn't know that you don't like them. So which one was the worst one for you? <laughs> the worst one for me uh, is a movie that I don't recommend anyone watch. It's called Martyrs, French film. Oh my God, I forgot about that one. Yeah, no one watched that. Uh, do you prefer fiction or nonfiction when it comes to movies that are based off of books? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say nonfiction. Do you usually watch movies at home or at a movie theater? And let's just pretend it's pre-COVID. Then I would say I, pref I much prefer movie theaters. Why is that? There is, I think the big thing now is no distractions. You know, there's no way you're going to reach for your phone. Um, luckily, with the movie theater that I frequent, people aren't usually talking. So, yeah. That's uh, that's why I prefer movie theaters. What's a movie that you can watch over and over again and not get bored? Any of the Lord of the Rings trilogies. All right. What's the funniest movie you've ever seen? Good Boy. Oh, that's a good one. All right. What's the most romantic? Ooh. 
uh, about time. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Skyline. <laughs> and then what is the last movie you saw and was it good? And who did you see it with? Fast and the Furious 4. Mm-hmm. And it was as good as I remember. And I saw it with my fiance. What movie star would you most like to meet? Uh, uh, Brad Pitt. And then who is your favorite actor and favorite actress? So we're going to go, we're going to double down on Brad Pitt. <laughs> and favorite actress, Frances McDormand. Do you think films can be educational? Absolutely. Who's your favorite director? Uh, okay, I might butcher his name, but uh, Guillermo del Toro. And then, do you still spend money on DVD movies so you can own the movies that you like? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Who is your favorite superhero? Favorite superhero? Superman. Would you say that he has the best superhero movies or would you go with another hero for that? I would go with another hero for that, unfortunately. And who would that be? Spider-Man. Do you think action movies are bad for children? No, I don't. What's your favorite movie soundtrack? Oh, wow. Um, Let's go with Blade Runner. Do you like documentaries? Yes. Can you remember the name of the first movie you saw that made you cry? Oh, wow. Probably The Lion King. Okay. Um, do you like foreign films? Yeah. Can you think of your favorite one? Mm. Oh, wow. Mustang. Oh, I still haven't seen that one. I gotta watch that one. <laughs> and then, so if you were to star in a movie, I know you said you wouldn't want to be an actor, but if you had to... Can you think of a movie that you would have wanted to have a role in? Uh, Fast and the Furious. Why? It's it's dumb, fun, and I wouldn't have to try that hard. And then for our last question of the interview, what is a movie that you're anticipating for this year? This is probably one of the easiest questions you've asked. Dune, absolutely. Yes, I'm absolutely excited for that one. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you for your time. You are going to be live on air. And we'll see you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. All right, so that was our interview for our segment, and now we'll just be covering the Oscars. Um, I kind of tried to hold the interview like a Vogue 100-question interview. Um, (laughs) I think some of the questions stumped him, so we won't do it that way with us. But did you guys watch the Oscars when they aired? Or even like the day after? Being honest, I did watch the Oscars. I did not. <laughs> did, did you watch any of the movies? What was that? Iris, on you, uh, you didn't watch the Oscars, but did you watch any of the movies that were nominated? Um, actually, no. Like, there's just no, there's just there's no time, and there's a bunch of white people. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been gotten more diverse, honestly. But I was really disappointed. Uh, Boris Chadwick did not win for the best actor. So, so oh, yeah. I was really bummed out. So I just stay away from it. <laughs> there was controversy around that. I do remember hearing about it. I did hear his family didn't mind too much. I think it's more so the fans who were pretty hurt by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think something that was really, I found it really interesting that the Oscars didn't allow uh, like Zoom. Like those so those who won the awards, there was no Zoom, so no acceptance through Zoom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I don't think they did Zoom, but they had like some kind of other program set up because I remember watching it and there were like some people, I don't remember who, their names anymore, but um, someone was like in France and he accepted his award from France and someone else in like some other European country. Um, I don't know what they use for that, but at least some people like got to do it remotely. Yeah, I did see that. Like they would show the nominees like in their own theater, in their own hometown. So I thought that yeah. was like, so kind of got to attend, but it was weird seeing the Oscars with like a Zoom-like aspect to it because I'm so used to everyone being there, walking up to the stage and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it was such a small theater too. It was really strange to see. Yeah, and then they had it in like two different locations, I believe. It was that and then the Dolby Theater, I think, that they were using. Yeah. Yeah, and that's for sure, I think. Uh, from what I've seen, other people, people recap it. So far as I know, like, it's less, like you said, it was less formal compared to the other times where they have it, where, you know, this big city on people just sitting there in their best dresses, showing off their best side for yeah. a nice photo shoot. But now it's just a bit different because, like you said, it's just smaller and it doesn't feel like the Oscars. It just feels like another awards that we're having. I was gonna ask uh, Natalia since you did watch the Oscars um, which movie did you watch? Um, I watched Sound of Metal, Minari, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah and I can't think of other ones right now. I have Nomadland on my list though I know that one won a bunch mm -hmm. of awards. Have you seen that one? Yeah I watched it the other day it's really good. I think it's deserving. Yeah. Okay, cool. I didn't, honestly, like, it kind of turned me off when I saw the commercial, when I saw how they filmed it and stuff. I wasn't sure if I would be bored or not, but I keep hearing, like, raving reviews, so I think it's, I think it's time for me to check it out for sure. Yeah, I think you really have to sit with it, because, mm -hmm. like, not, there's not, like, a lot of action going on. Right. And then, which ones did you see, and which one was your favorite that you saw? I saw um, Sound of Metal, uh, Minari, Nomadland, Soul, and I think that's it. Um, I really like Sound of Metal. I think that's my favorite out of everything. And I Minari is really good Soul. too. I did see that one. I don't know if anyone else saw that, but that movie made me cry. Movie Soul? Was... Yeah, did you see it? <laughs> yes, I actually did love them. A movie is really yeah. beautiful. Really into jazz, so <laughs> it was well, really... Yeah. I feel like it catered to a lot of people like our age too, like thinking about the yeah. future and our dreams and stuff like that more than more so than children. It was like a pretty big topic that they covered in a very very good way. So that was that's cool. very central. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of oddly enough, it actually reminds me of Lion King. It kind of makes you cry too because I think if it talks about being constantly about death. Yeah. And remorse, like, and you can't really, you know, once you die, you cannot like, come back, except for that one guy. He did come back, technically. <laughs> <laughs> Besides yeah. that, it tackles the concept of death and, like, birth. So I find it really interesting. I guess also we, we liked it a lot because it really brings some nostalgia regarding even the Lion King, which your brother talked about. So I actually find yeah. it really funny he mentioned it. Yeah, I think it came out around the time he was born, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember but I'm pretty sure that's one of the first ones he saw. I thought he was going to say Fox and the Hound because that's another one I remember him crying a lot. Mm -hmm. 
I have a question actually for you guys since I know your brother talked about superhero movies mm -hmm. and I know um, like superhero movies are a bit controversial right now regarding oh are they actually films or are they films or are they cinema or not so I was wondering if you think any time a superhero movie actually win an Oscar Ooh. Ooh. No. I feel like they, they win like a lot of the sound awards like the sound engineering I can't think of anyone like a huge one though but i would argue and say that they are cinema just in my opinion because there is a lot that has to go into it still like acting and all that kind of stuff so i would say yeah yeah, yeah i think probably i think we were on that path i think with covid thing changes now because technically to an oscar you had to be shown in theaters but now everything is shown <laughs> and <laughs> and a big uh, like uh, platforms like netflix so you think it really does, do you think it's affected anyway? Did you guys uh, watch the Oscars? I do not. I don't think it's affected in any way. I think it still ran as normal. But unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. So we will be seeing you guys next week. And next week, uh, next you're going to hear from the Zoomers and they're going to cover sports. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is the Zoomers, and we're covering sports today. So um, first up, I've got an interview with my um, brother and my mom, who are the biggest sports fans I've ever met. So I talked to them a bit about identity and politics in sports. We have mom back in the studio but now she's joined by my very old brother, Tyler. <laughs> I don't know, you wanna like introduce yourselves? Talk about uh, My name is Tyler. I'm Molly's brother. Very old. <laughs> I live in Oakland and I have a YouTube channel. What about that, okay. <laughs> Free advertisement. I'm, anyway, Lin I'm Linda Sakamoto Jonki. I am Tyler's mother and I am Molly's mother and I'm very, very old myself. That's all I have to say. Okay, my first questions. For those who don't know, what are sports? What? Great question. Okay, here's a question for mom. Why did you put me and Tyler in a Japanese basketball league? Because I wanted to have both of you individuals in the culture of the culture I was raised in, the Japanese. And here's the funny part. I wanted you to both be on a team that if we're socializing, I felt more comfort and more trusting of putting both of you in the Japanese American or Japanese culture. Do you think it's still important to like have those spaces in sports for minority groups? Do you think it's still relevant to have like a Japanese basketball league? I know, absolutely. It's also another opportunity, especially if you're a minority, to be with the culture and the group of people that are in the minority. It, it's <laughs> It's a way to facilitate the culture and then have the people together and socialize. Historically, remember, minorities had to create. Do you think that sports is an appropriate or an effective platform for uh, spreading political messages or like trying to start political discourse? Yeah, 100%. Because if you have any type of audience, you can then use that for power and communication. That's why Black Lives Matter was hugely 
supported by the NBA. NBA. Oh, whenever you, first one, yeah. Whenever you have eyeballs on you, yeah, and the you NFL, have power, basically. Oh, th that's why. Yeah, the messaging was on the team uniforms. I'm sure they're putting more resources into yes, some yes. of those social you yes. know, initiatives, Could education. Yes, they know they have to go out into the community. In and awareness, of, awareness, yes. education. I'm sure they're putting money towards. I, oh yeah, initiatives. Any, what are you gonna call this segment? Sports. Yeah. Sports. 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 Yeah. Sports. Sports? sports, yeah. Sports, Just yeah. sports? I have some mascots that I wrote down, and I thought I was going to ask your impression of them. Speedy the Gooey Duck from Evergreen College in Washington. Uh, it looks like oh. a Is it a What? That's horrible. looks like a He said Go to the next one. This okay. is my favorite mascot. Gritty from the Philadelphia hockey team. Uh, I don't know. He's That's awesome. probably one of the best mascots I've ever seen. Wow. He, he is, looks like the Muppets. He's, he looks kind of like Sesame friendly, Street. uh, but also wild. Does he make you feel nervous? No. no not really. Well, I did think his eyes were popping out, but Look, he doesn't make me nervous. on the ice. Would you hang out with Gritty? I'd hang out with Gritty. Oh, the orange one. Yeah, yeah you yeah, like the orange yeah. one. He seems really fun. I wouldn't hang out with Gritty, though, because of those eyes. Right, and I will pass that off to uh, Jackie next. Okay, no lie, your mom is a legend. Thanks, Molly, that was really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, for today's segment, I interviewed an SDSU football player. He is a Southeast San Diego native and has experienced the barriers and beauty of what that means. So today I welcome you to Ray Kirkland. African-American man who's a student, an athlete, and has a side hustle job that provides nutritious meals to Southeast San Diegans, which is amazing. How are you doing right now amidst the many things going on in society or in your life as a college student? Um, it's a constant juggle, you know, just how anybody in life would handle multiple tasks at once. And I don't know, with school, it has been real difficult just because of the whole pandemic on top of the racial aspects that are going on and just the world is crazy you know what i mean literally this past year and a half just flew by just how you know uh you've gone through a lot of trauma as a child and then that's why you have a lot of forgetful memories it's similar to this like we've gone through that in such a fast-paced action that we've normalized it and now we're you get what i'm saying so it's just it, it's it's still something i'm still trying to figure out but i mean life goes on time don't stop and as an active member of the community, how would you speak about the community you grew up in? Yeah, Southeast San Diego, it's a beautiful struggle in my eyes. Like, yeah, it's it's difficult to survive just because that any day could be your last. Even if you're not mixed up with drama and shit, you can be a casualty. But I mean, I love it here. You know, the ties I've built and the people I've met and just without everything that happened in this community or the people who I've met, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't learn the lessons that I've learned. I look at everything in a optimistic mindset for the most part, just because, like I said, life goes on, time don't stop. So it's either you complain about something or you push through. Is there anything you've learned this far in your career as a college student, athlete, and community activist? Learn when to rest. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes we walk around with this armor for so long that we forget it's even there. So it's just dragging along. Sometimes you gotta just 
relax, relocate yourself, and remember who you are. Because without that, you're going to burn out. You feel me? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for this interview. All right. Thank you, guys. And next up is Lucky Segment. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to yet another John Doe interview. Today's topic, sports. So let's give a welcoming hand to John Doe, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, snap. Back in this thing again. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. What's what's going on? So ever since the arc has been closed, what have you been doing in order to stay in shape? Yeah, Um. as far as, as workouts. So yeah, before the arc closed, I definitely would use um, lots of dumbbells and stuff like that. Um, I used a lot of the equipment in there. I'm not the hugest fan of machines, but free weights are awesome. Um, so, you know, those barbell, bench press, all that jazz. But since it closed, actually, I've been doing a lot more biking. I've been, um, I have a couple hand weights at home. I have kettlebells. Um, did you know that over the course of a day, you know, mental pursuits, like thinking and stuff, you know, that burns a lot of calories, right? I mean, if a person isn't eating like carbs for food, you know, your, your, your body can actually eat fat, you know, for energy instead. And that's really actually better for your brain function. Are you looking to try out for any UC Davis athletic teams? Oh, definitely rugby, rugby. Um, I've always appreciated the aggression and the athleticism um, of, of, a, of a, a rugby squad, just that sport in general, ever since I saw it on MTV's Road Road way back in, in, in the early time. But that being said, you know, everything with the COVID restrictions, with all the risk, for me, rugby being such a contact sport isn't really an option. But if I had to choose one, it would definitely be rugby, even though I'm short. And for my final question, since the ARC was closed for more than a year, how does it feel knowing that it will reopen at maximum capacity on June the 1st? Oh, wait. Max capacity? I didn't know it was going to open at max capacity. Uh, well, uh, I might give it some time. Uh, as mentioned, you know, I have a number of implements, but... Yeah, uh, how do I feel? It, it, it there would definitely be a, a bit of relief. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back in there, you know, hitting the bags, um, and running, and, and just being in that energy, you know, that community energy. So it's gonna be dope. And that's all the time I have, folks. See you next time, and have a great morning. All right, and moving on, we have Victoria's segment. Hi, this is Victoria. In the United States, East Asians are stereotyped as being inferior to other races in terms of body and sports. This has led to a lot of discrimination in the recruitment process of American professional sports. Jeremy Lane, a professional basketball player, believes that one of the reasons why he was not selected by an NBA team is his race. So today I interviewed my friend Albert, who used to play basketball for an American high school team. So let's hear his views on this issue. Hi Albert, so I know you went to high school in Sacramento. As one of the few international students in the school, how did you get selected for the school's basketball team? 
Yeah, it's hard. I went to find a coach several times and try to keep up with the training because I want to show my energy to the coach. Mm-hmm. What do you think of your life on the basketball team? Have you ever encountered racial discrimination? To be honest, I was a little behind in training at the beginning, but my teammates were very warm-hearted, so I got really integrated in the team. Freshman year, I saw people in our cabin doing some provocative actions to an Asian student. I think this is very wrong. Everyone loves basketball should live in peace. Yeah, so do you have friends who were refused to join the school basketball team because they were not Americans? I have a friend who tried to make the basketball team, but the coach didn't give him. He's physically strong, but maybe he's having trouble communicating. He didn't quite understand the tactics the coach was talking about, and I think that's why he didn't make the team, not because he wasn't American. So, do you think there's a racial reason why it's hard for Asian American players to get into the NBA? Personally, think it's true that there are racial differences in talent, and there's definitely discrimination against Asian athletic ability. So, from my conversations with Albert, I can feel that Asian athletes do face some challenges nowadays. Um. So that's all for our discussion on sports today, and let's invite the next group to share more. T- Good morning, everyone. We're vague. Um, today, we're going to be talking about tech stuff. Um, I actually found out that they're like, apparently, I don't know if you guys knew, but they're like implementing AI in like fast food restaurants. So I decided I would interview my roommate, who's a fast food worker. Um, I'm actually going to play the interview right now. I'm Giovanna and I'm gonna be interviewing my roommate. Um, hi, Alec, do you wanna just explain yourself a little bit? I didn't do it. <laughs> okay, come on, bro. <laughs> he said explain yourself. Yeah, or introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Alec. Mm-hmm. I'm a psychology major. And I'm about to be interviewed by my roommate. <laughs> um, so, I know you have a lot of experience with fast food restaurants. Um, do you want to like tell them like where you've worked? Uh, I've worked at a uh, Starbucks, a McDonald's, and a Chipotle. Mm-hmm. Two of those sucked. Which really ones? Bad. Uh, McDonald's and the Chipotle. Both of them had really bad working. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you that, like, or, like, what was it like? Like, was the pay any good? Like, what were, like, the hardships of those jobs? I mean, for McDonald's, I'd say it was fair because most of the work was spread out because there was more than one person in the kitchen. But when mm-hmm. it came to working at Chipotle, there would, I would have to fill up two lines, kind of like lunch lady lines where you have to, like, <laughs> fill up the food. Yeah. It's like the little, little pots and whatever. Yeah. And I'd be doing that all by myself. And if the person before me clocks out and leaves me with nothing, well, then I'm just 
totally screwed and I got paid the same as everyone else maybe even less because I didn't get tips yeah I know you hated that job because I remember you were like super yeah I quit (laughs) you're super happy um so basically okay so I found like an article um explaining how AI is like being implemented in like fast food places so there's a robot called Flippy (laughs) and he he flips burgers and cooks fries I don't know if he he does anything else but um apparently there's like one in Cali Burger in Pasadena and there's and there's like some white castles that are testing them out that sounds pretty cool oh I was gonna show you like if you want to about to show you a video of Flippy the audio Oh, I think I've seen something like this. I watched a video of a robot <laughs> that made ramen in Japan. It's kind of like oh. that. So yeah, the robot right now is just flipping burgers. I kind of feel like that working at McDonald's too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know this was a thing. Yes, they normally cook for four and a half minutes. That's um, crazy. That's really cool. Okay, so yeah, I was just gonna ask you, like, what are your, like, first impressions of, like, that AI is even in, like, fast food restaurants? Um, the first impressions is, uh, that's a pretty good thing for, like, if you're the owner of the business, because you Mm -hmm. have to pay a lot less. That's true. But, like, in terms of, like, people looking for jobs, I guess Mm -hmm. that would, like, greatly affect that, since you would only need one machine rather than like six different people yeah shift. yeah that's why i was like i was gonna ask you if like you thought it was like a good thing or a bad thing is it, is it like both i mean it depends on what i guess uh tax bracket you're on if you're on mm-hmm. like the higher tax bracket then yeah it's fine or it's that's whatever true. but like when you're if you're lower and you're looking for a job this will definitely cut into that uh pay grade yeah because i feel like I mean, it is cool to see, but it it definitely, like, would take away people's jobs. Yeah, but it would also give, uh, like, you know, more, uh, how, how do I say it, more modern jobs. Like, mm-hmm. you would have to maintain the robot That's true. and stuff like that. And I imagine since there's less people, you'd be able to get paid more. Mm-hmm. Oh, at least I'd hope so. Yeah. You kind of screwed up if you weren't, <laughs> especially if you're learning about how to take care of a robot. So it, it seems like you think this is, like, a good thing? Um, I'm kind of in the middle, but I'm more mm. towards it's a good thing because it'll be better in terms of advancement. Mm-hmm. But economically, a lot of people are going to be hurt by this. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just wanted to show you that because I just... Okay, I accidentally stopped sharing, but you're listening to KDRT 95.7 on the FM dial, broadcasting from Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. Um, Does anybody want to jump in after that interview? Uh, Yeah, Um, it was kind of interesting to read because, you know, you kind of have to, like, wonder how are the jobs going to look like? Because, you know, a lot of people get their start off, like, in fast food restaurants. So, like, with robots, is that going to, like, make it more difficult for them yeah i mean i i feel like for the workers already there it would like maybe make it easier but i do feel like it would 
it, it's like taking up jobs. So then maybe it might be harder for some people to find jobs. Because I mean, you have like with COVID, you know, like the employment, and then now like with robots. Because I know um at the McDonald's here back home, there's like a bunch of high schoolers, like literally baby faced, um people working at mcdonald's so if you get robots that can do their job for like less like mm -hmm. how are they going to go about like saving up money for whatever they need like college etc yeah i know like you like you didn't directly mention it in the interview but like you guys mentioned like how there's like many pros and cons to like this type of technology like i feel like for the pros it helps like so many employees while cooking and grill, um, grilling, like it helps with the efficiency, uh, it helps with safety. And like, since there's less interaction with the employee and the, the food that's being served to customers, um, it, um, with the pandemic going on, there's like definitely been a rise in more co people consciously aware of like food safety. And like in the article, it did mention how by uh, Greg Nichols, it did mention that one in six Americans get sick um, yearly. And that um, part of that is uh, like the cases is exposure to bacteria, which was like min mishandled or like, like undercooked food. So I feel like it definitely like lightens the, I guess, the nervousness of um, eating food that's like being handled by others. Yeah, I think AI is good things. Um, because of COVID nineteen, last time should pay more attention to safety. As Victor says, every year one in six Americans get sick because of the foodborne disease. The cause cause the cause of this disease is bacteria that mishandle food or come from uncooked food. To address these issues, AI AI uses robust analysis to improve food quality and increase efficiency. It can also track food items and automatically monitor cooking time to deliver prices, levels of cooking. Yeah, so it is said that hard cooking method can be eliminated and kitchens and inventory can be simplified. I think it's not right to leave 100% of humans work to robots, but I think AI, which can work at an accurate and fast pace in these difficult times can be a good tool for us yeah um i agree with you like i'm very optimistic about ai and i understand like the the efficiency um i think just the part that worries me is that i feel like the basically ai is kind of just taking um those kind of like low income jobs like you know the production line jobs um, you don't really see them taking like like really really high positions. It's like just lower positions that like a lot of people need to like make money and you know like feed their families and everything. Um, and I feel like it mostly just benefits people who already have businesses or are already kind of at the top. But um, yeah, I'm I'm like not completely against it, but I I feel like there is some like negative consequences to it. Yeah, it definitely has its uh, pros and cons. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it's getting along. Because then, you know, those the the um, the people who theorize, you know, robots are going to take over the world. I feel like this is just going to ignite them further. 
Like they're taking our jobs. Both of those robots. It's like a like a movie terminal. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm just very interested to see how it's gonna affect employment. Um, if, if it's gonna help make it worse. Um, I just don't. I feel like it'll take out a lot of jobs, which a lot of kids do depend on nowadays. So I guess they're gonna have to look for alternative ways. <laughs> Wait, does this um does this like particular in, like device like it, it still requires like employees to like like use it right like it's it it can't like operate on its own. No, I I think it does. It's supposed to operate on its own, but I'm assuming like maybe there's like some kind of maintenance. Yeah, cause like from the like the images I saw, like it looked like they were using like some type of like screen like device in order to like like make it work but i don't know but yeah i just feel like with the evolution of robots and like ai i feel like it could net uh like negatively impact like lower class folks and like even many immigrants like who migrated here like help keep their family like financially afloat like they rely on these type of jobs because they're like i guess they're limited to like like the the jobs in america so right yeah Yeah, i i agree with you because um i mean for me when i go into like fast food restaurants i mostly see people that look like me that are like hispanic so i do feel like a lot of the income jobs are or for like a lot of them are you know um minorities have them so i feel like it does affect kind of like low-income people yeah, it's like definitely uh I guess fifty fifty for me, like for these robots. Oh, Anna, did you want to talk about your what you found about Apple? Um, I was about to say actually we're running oh, out okay. of time already. <laughs> um uh but yeah, uh thank you for finding that article and doing the interview. Um it was very enlightening. Now we just have to wait and see how it develops further and how it affects the economy. Uh, but thank you so much. Now we will hand it over to the next group. All right, well, thank you all. That was very, very informative. We learned about sports and so much more and my group Wangbo, which is Chinese for radio if you didn't know I did not mean for that to rhyme but here we go uh, uh, my group Guangbo this week we're gonna talk about the pandemic in India and the crisis going on over there we have an interview with a notable doctor Dr. Carter and take it away, Michael. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Cotter, and I am here today with Dr. Timothy Cotter. Hello, Dr. Cotter. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing, Michael? I'm pretty all right. Now, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. I'm a cardiologist. I um, practice in Kaiser Permanente in Southern California. I am actually the regional chief of cardiology in Southern California. So in that sort of leadership role, I was very involved in our response 
to the COVID epidemic in Southern California and uh, creating policies to help address uh, the practice of cardiology in the setting of, uh, of COVID. So I'm fairly familiar with this. Now, I'm pretty interested in COVID-19 and what's going on in India. Could you explain a little bit about that to me? Sure. Yeah, India, unfortunately, right now, it is truly a humanitarian disaster. India had, over the past year, for the most part, uh, been doing reasonably well. They were following um, social distancing. They were masking. Uh, they had a surge during the late summer, beginning of the fall, around September, and they were logging about, you know, 90,000 cases a day, which, you know, clearly there was substantial community spread. But then it, 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 with the measures they were undertaking, it had gradually fallen over the next several months until, you know, it reached kind of a minimum of around 20,000 cases a day um, by January and February. And 20,000 cases sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about a population of 1.4 billion people, it's a very small proportion. I think that you know the people in India, the the politicians uh, in particular, sort of um, thought that okay, hooray, we've survived COVID, we've done it. Uh, there were some models that suggested that because it was a young country and because you know there was probably significant underreporting of COVID, that you know perhaps they had reached herd immunity and they were going to be fine. And so I think what happened in you know the February to March timeframe is that people relaxed the precautions they were taking. The politicians were having rallies, huge rallies with no masks. Um, there were religious festivals. There was a very substantial Hindu religious festival that occurred where there were literally millions of people. And um, then beginning in March and going into April, um, the case rates started to climb just exponentially. And now they're at um, close to 400,000 cases a day. And, uh, you know, India's healthcare system is, is not particularly well-funded. And, um, you know, there are hospitals now that are running out of oxygen, they can't admit patients. And, you know, it's, it's tragic to see the images of people dying in, in the streets, literally, um, because of lack of medical care. I mean, so part of it was, I think, that they let their guard down. Another part of it is that there is a, a mutation that's become prevalent in India, the B, B1617 mutation, which has one of the spike protein mutations that tends to, you know, make the COVID uh, virus spread more easily, the coronavirus spread more easily. And it also has a mutation that is of some concern about whether vaccines will work against it, though it seems right now that it, they probably do. So it's these, probably these combinations of factors that led to the situation in India now, which is really, I mean, tragic. So why is it important for us to worry about India if we're doing all right? I mean, obviously, besides the humanitarian point of view of just wanting to help people. Well, the thing about why it's important is that, you know, we are a global society. And what happens in India affects everyone in the world, and it affects us. If COVID is spreading, if the coronavirus is spreading unchecked throughout India, it has the opportunity to infect people. And as it infects people, it can mutate. 
So there could be the potential to develop more infectious and more vaccine resistant um, variants of COVID. And, you know, as those could spread to other areas uh, of the world. Yeah, another thing is that India does produce a lot of medical supplies. And if um, they're having a, you know, sort of a medical disaster in their own country, they're not producing medical supplies for the rest of the world. Well, that's another issue. In, in, in fact, though, the, fact, the thing that shows that we are globally connected is that there's just in the past week or so, there's already been a case of the Indian variant identified in San Diego in a, pay, a person who visited India back in March. So it, it shows that what happens in one part of the world comes and touches us here. Now, I do have another question. Won't sending vaccine supplies to India interfere with our supply here in America? Well, right now, we, we've done a very good job in getting people vaccinated. Um, and in fact, I think you could say that probably all of the people who are enthusiastic about getting vaccinated have been vaccinated so far. And there are many places in the country now, uh, in fact, almost every place in the country, the vaccination rates are actually falling, which is good because part of that is a result of people having already had the vaccine. Uh, right now, we're sort of faced with the challenge of, you know, getting people who don't want the vaccine to have easy access and then also convincing them that they need to have the vaccine. But regardless, we are going to have more vaccine than we need at the present time. So, you know, it behooves us to send that vaccine to people who can use it in other countries. And India is, is desperately in need right now. Thank you very much for uh, coming and speaking here today, Dr. Goddard. Uh, it's been enlightening, really. It's been my pleasure, Michael. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Michael. Uh, yep, and that was the interview that I did with Dr. Timothy Goddard. Uh, it was really enlightening. You know, there are a lot of different uh, uh, things. Like, obviously, in the news, you hear a lot of stuff about India, but, you know, I've never really uh, dived very deeply into it, and that interview kind of gave a lot of perspective to actually, you know, the global aspect of you know what's going on just with the coronavirus in general as well you know yeah he was uh very knowledgeable about the subject um even though he's not a you know global disease <laughs> yeah doctor. he's not a of I forgot, infectious disease specialist, but he has worked a lot with uh, COVID because of uh, of its effects in America and, and the position that he's in and the and the kind of the response to uh, response to it. But yeah, so India, man, I, I it's really not going good let me, there right now. Let me start off by saying that like I 100% feel like it is a humanitarian effort that needs to be done by the entire world. Um, it, it has been a disease that has uh, affected every single continent, every people. Um, and India, like your dad said, is 1.4 billion people. And the land mass is a size, basically it's California and Texas put together. And that's entirety of India. Um, I, it's a humanitarian effort, um, and I think that the more we come together as a people, as humankind, the better we all will be in the long run. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
I, I don't think that in this situation there's really any reason not to you know not, not to, help. to help him. So, Seriously, yeah, yeah, no, no reason you know, at all. Even if you're kind of callous and you don't want to do it because of purely a humanitarian thing, where it's you want to help people, there is a reason for us as Americans to help India, and that is because you know if coronavirus gets bad there, we potentially could you know a, a, a new strain that's you know power, more powerful than the next, and you know it's already kind of developing there, uh, could come to America, and then that could bring another surge. Yeah, and it's so, crazy, because that, that is basically what your father was talking about, is, yeah. is there's already found the contagion, the new one, in San Diego, and I know that's at the bottom of the state, um, away from where we are, but it's still here already, so that could potentially cause another spike. Yeah, it truly is a global... <laughs> I what would you call it a global like something it, that affects the world <laughs> yeah it, no, it, i think the best yeah. way to put it is like a global humanitarian effort <laughs> should yeah, be yeah, put, definitely. should be put forward to uh stop the spread and honestly with a population at large um you gotta think that it's going to spread quickly um if it's spreading quickly there those people aren't going to stay in that landmass that's a third the size like they still have to move around and um, like he stated, it's it's they manufacture a lot of the PPE that comes to America. So if they can't get to work to make that PPE, what happens to the rest of the world um, who needs the PPE? Um, it's 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 definitely going to be a, a joint process, and and I feel like all of COVID should have been a combined humanitarian effort. Didn't matter like race, color creed religion like none of that i feel like it's one of those things that has affected the world and that very seldomly happens and so when it does happen this is the time to like squash the beef and move forward <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely also something interesting that i heard recently uh supposedly also australia is like barring all people from india uh like an actual travel ban into australia even their own citizens to kind of uh, put a stopper on the flow of the coronavirus from India. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it's it, it's it, I I understand it, um, especially because as bad as the pandemic has gotten there. But on the other hand, um, the people in India love cricket, and <laughs> and I know I know completely random uh, transition, but the people in India love cricket, and the uh, Australian cricket. Um, league their national like their national australian cricket league donated like a bunch of money i i can't give you an exact amount because i forgot right this moment but like they <laughs> donated a bunch of money to india because they know that that's like a large portion of their fan base and if if they can get fans back into stands in india they'll make more money so like it's the the ban makes sense because as bad as the pandemic is right now, I remember at the peak of the pandemic, everyone closed travel to like outside countries. Um, the UK, if you were getting to the UK, they were like, yo, you got to quarantine for two weeks. And I don't care if you're only here for four days, you're going to quarantine, hop back on that plane. And then <laughs> you're not our problem anymore. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like it's one of those things where everyone should donate what they can. Um, even if it's just the donation of thinking about the what's going on in India. 
Um, if you can't donate like physical time or money, um, just keep India at, at the forefront of your head because their population is so large that uh, it, it's going to affect us at some time if we don't help them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, uh, even if you can't donate or spend your time, you know, spread the word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading that, um, like we were talking about, just how it affects everyone else. And it's in close, close proximity to a lot of African countries that don't have the resources to combat COVID. So um, it could eventually spread there and then it would be even worse so yeah and that's and that's the next step and and like i said if we don't if we all don't collectively come together and help india um this thing is going to spread and and i know that vaccination efforts are great in places like the u.s um they're working on them in canada uh mexico's trying like i i've vaccinations are out there we have so much abundance of it right now that we can send some of it to help fight that infection in india yeah absolutely i think we're just about out of time so josh you want to go ahead and wrap us up <laughs> yeah absolutely um i'm just gonna go ahead and say since it is the big day of giving um and we were talking about the pandemic in india if you want to donate um, go to the IndianRedCross.org. There's a giant donate button there. Um, give from the heart. Give what you can. Like I said, even if it's just thought, um, we thank you. Um, and I would like to dedicate this song to Amanda Sugarman in Houston, Texas. You are a very close friend, and I wouldn't be here without you.
And that was Boston with Amanda. We'd like to thank you all for listening today. We hope you have a great day. And always keep your radio tuned to KDRT 95.7, Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. This hour of KDRT programming is underwritten by Berryessa Brewing Company, offering a rotating lineup of fresh handcrafted beers, live music, and food trucks. Open Thursday through Sundays and located at 27260 Highway 128 Winners. Information at BerryessaBrewingCo.com. Two, three, four.